Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Listen, what makes you happy? You know what made me happy today? I saw someone walking into this church with a t-shirt on. I was like, he's 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 my favorite guy in the church right now, because that means that summer must be coming. Because yesterday morning, when I tried to start my car, yesterday morning, I had an early, early start. I was driving to Peterborough to speak at a leadership seminar. And that car, as I get out there at six something in the morning, and I was thankful it started. But you know what made me happy is I drove to this place, I walked in, and one of the staff members handed me this brown bag, paper bag. And in it, were things that make me happy. I didn't know this, but they had called someone on the staff team and said, hey, what does Pastor Jonathan like to eat? So in it, there was tonic water. I love tonic water. There was a bag of coffee. You already know about my love affair with coffee. There was a butter tart with raisins, because that's the only good type of butter tart. There was a packet of rice pudding, which I love, with raisins, of course. And there was a package of spicy ketchup tomato chips. Oh, it was a good day. Those things make me happy. Happiness is an emotional response to an outcome, to something we're experiencing in life. Happiness is really transactional in nature. Kind of works like this. If she says yes, I'll be happy. If I get the job, I'll be happy. If If I get into grad school, the one I want, I'll be happy. If I win, I'll be happy. It's an if-then transactional feeling, but it's not sustainable. It never is sustainable. Why? Because life is full of circumstantial setbacks. Some of you are going through a circumstantial setback right now because she doesn't always say yes. He doesn't always say yes. We don't always get the job. We don't always win. We don't always get into the grad school of our dreams and the one we thought we needed. Here's the thing about happiness. Happiness is result and outcome reliant. Your happiness is tied to your outcomes. It's reliant on what you're experiencing in life. Life, it's always determined by external factors. And this is what makes happiness so legable. (laughs) Because happiness is attached to your circumstances, and those are uncontrollable. You can't control the circumstances that you experience in life. So your happiness, if you're trying to live a life of happiness, you're going to be very disappointed often in life. Often in life. Because even though, even, I've noticed this even as I've gotten older, in my 50s now, I've noticed that even when I'm happy, I know it's going to go. So even when I'm happy and enjoying this moment, there's a little bit of sadness even in it because I know it's going to go away. It always goes away at some point in time. Joy is very different than happiness. Joy is result and outcome defiant. 
Joy is not attached to the external things that I'm feeling or the circumstances of my life. Joy is something that is attached to the internal factors in my life. Something that's going on deep inside of me. It's so deep. The type of joy that God gives us is so deep that our circumstances can't quite get to it. Our circumstances can't quite control it. See, if you pursue happiness, you give away your power. Because when you pursue happiness in this life, it makes you vulnerable to a lot of addictions, makes you vulnerable to people being able to control you. Why? Because you put all your stock into uncontrollable, external, circumstantial stuff. And all of a sudden, people are pulling on your happiness. Things are pulling on your happiness. But, pow- but joy brings a real freedom and a power to not only endure, to even overcome. So welcome to our series, Joy. Over the next four weeks, Pastor Keith, Pastor Jessica, they're going to be teaching about something. And listen, let me warn you right up front. It's not going to be filled with all these pithy sayings and inspirational quotes. Why? Because it doesn't work when you're grieving. It doesn't work when you've lost your job. It doesn't work. Those little platitudes don't work when you face the financial or health setback of some sort. We need something of substance. So we're going to have an adult conversation about joy today. I want to equip you with the joy that's defiant. I want to equip you with the joy that when life is batting you around, it comes out swinging. I want to equip you that type of joy, the type of joy that Jesus describes to his followers in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, we get this picture. Jesus is recorded. There's a prayer recorded by Jesus, and he's praying for us. And here's what he prays. He says, I pray that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I pray that they would have the full measure of my joy within them. Listen, how deep is Jesus' joy? It was able to help him endure the cross. His joy was not only able to help him endure it, it helped him to face it, to walk towards it, to assume it, and to go beyond it. That's the type of joy he has for you or anyone who follows him. In in the previous chapter, in chapter 16, he's talking to his disciples and he says this, you will rejoice and no one or anything will be able to take away your joy. Can you imagine that type of joy? That nothing... No one could rob you of it. No, anyone could rob me of my happiness. Listen, those chips were gone pretty quick when I got home. And now, now, now I'm blue. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, anyone can rob you of your happiness. Things can rob you of your happiness. But what type of joy is it that nothing could actually rob you of that joy? And he's speaking to people that are about to be robbed of everything they own, the disciples. You imagine waking up and everything you've ever worked for is gone. They're going to be tortured. They're going to be persecuted. And eventually, they're going to die. And he says, I'm going to give you a joy that can stand up to anything. Now, full disclosure, I don't know. uh, There are some times in my life where I wonder, do I have that level of defined joy? And often, Christians don't because we don't understand the nature of joy. We don't actually understand. I think sometimes, and I'll just take my life because I can't speak for everyone in this room or online. I know that sometimes my joy is tied to too many sentimental kind of things. It's a sentimental joy I talk about. 
is finicky. It actually has kind of the signs of happiness attached to it. But this is not the type of joy that God walks us towards. This is not that type of defiant joy. We need to understand the nature of joy. Now, we're in church, and I'm a pastor, so you kind of know I'm going to tell you that God is the source of all true joy. The type of joy that can be your strength through any situation in a moment, God is the source of that type of joy. Now, you might expect me to say that, but here's what I know. I know a lot of people who follow Jesus. They're still trying to fuel their life with happiness. And when things don't go right, they, do, they don't feel loved. They feel beaten or by the circumstances of life. They don't have a resilience. Their strength goes, around, goes away. Life pushes them around and they feel weak and defenseless. And the Apostle Paul is going to help us understand how to grow the type of joy that Jesus described to his disciples in John chapter 17 and 16. Now, he does it in a strange way. I, I, I like to think of this. Anyone do gardening or planting? You ever plant a seed? You ever, anyone plant a seed and it grew into something? Yeah, jump in the chat room, tell us what you planted. Like, most of us have done that, even if you went to school, right? There's usually some, I don't know, bean sprouts or something easy the teacher kind of puts in there. And I know we have lots of teachers in the room, and, and they grow it. And, and, and you can see the miracle of life of what something grows. Well, Paul gives us these seeds, these little truths, that if you plant them deep in your heart, they will grow the type of joy that Jesus is describing. And they're hidden in plain sight in one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, a, a, a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Rome. And there's some really famous verses we're going to look at, but we're going to look at them quite differently than maybe you've read them before. Because hidden in plain sight are these four seeds that I want to open up to you today. So I'm going to read the portion of Scripture. If you want to read it, you can pick it up at Romans 8. I'm going to read verses 28 to 30. Now, it may help you to just close your eyes if you want to, to listen to this. I'm going to read these scriptures. It won't be on the screen right now. Let me read them. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There are four little seeds in this that if you plant them deep in your heart, and the degree that you plant them in is the degree of the strength of the joy that you experience in this life. Let's start. Paul starts this way. He says, and we know that in, and can you say these two words with me? Yeah, I heard you online. We know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Here's the first seed. The first seed is this. All things happen to Christians. Now, this is a seed that you and I don't want to plant. I don't want to plant this in. I don't want to, I don't want to grab hold of this truth, but this is critical to understand joy. If you're going to move from fueling your life on happiness to fueling to joy, you need to understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying that Christian circumstances are no better than anybody else's. He's saying that rough stuff happens to people who love God. Now, we don't like that. There's going to be no enthusiastic amens on that one, right? I'm just waiting for some, some rebel to yell out, amen. <laughs> the, we don't like that because we, many Christians, explicitly believe 
that if I serve God, if I love God, if I follow God, then, then my circumstances are going to be better. We believe that. If I serve God, I love God, I pursue God, then, then everything is going to work a little bit better in my life. But that's not what this text is saying, and I can tell you that's not what experience shows. I, I, you know, I, I look around and I think all the things that have happened to the people that I've known as I pastored over 30 years, great people. I know that some of the very same things that visit everyone else in life visits their home also. I know that to be true. All I know is that in 30 years of pastoring, I, I, I thought about this, this over these last number of years as I watched my dad. And my dad was one of the good guys, friends. He loved God. He lived for God. He was not perfect. But man, if, if you had the privilege of knowing my dad, uh, he loved God. And I watched Alzheimer's. Just go after that one thing that I admired so much about my dad, his mind. My dad was a thinker, an intellectual. He was curious about life. And I watched Alzheimer's. It, it wasn't fair. It was very unfair. Why would that happen to what I would call a good man? That's not fair. But here's what life is. And sometimes we miss this. When we come to Jesus, God doesn't pass us some sort of magic umbrella. And he goes, okay, there. Now you're immune. You're immune from everything that's going to fall on others around you because now you have this force field. You have this, this immunity against the hardships of life. You have this immunity against the circumstantial setbacks of life, those things that come at us. He doesn't promise us any sort of magical kind of umbrella. He says all things, all things can happen. All things will visit our homes. Bad things can happen to us. And why does Paul tell us that? Because he doesn't want us to be shocked. He doesn't want us to be surprised. But here's the difference. I, like I, I, word pictures. I'm going to do this on the fly, and it's always dangerous to use a word picture. But you, if you're in a battle, and, you're, and you know there are bullets flying everywhere, uh, you're ducking a lot, are you not? <laughs> but if you're in a tank, which has incredible armor, you're still going to take hits but you're going to keep going forward. That's how the joy of the Lord works. It doesn't make you immune from being hit by life circumstances, but there is a power and a strength to keep going that you have because of the joy of the Lord. One of the main reasons I think a lot of Christians are controlled by their circumstances and they're tossed to and fro is because, not because bad things happen to them, because they're shocked that they have. They're surprised that they have. And this one seed that Paul's asking you to plant in your heart is so that you're not jarred. You know what this seed is? It's a stabilizing seed. It's recognizing that, hey, all things happen to Christians. All things happen to Christians. It rains on the just and the unjust. How many times have we heard that verse? How many times are we still shocked when it rains on us, though? Here's what Paul's trying to say is, this will keep you steady. You're not going to be jarred by it and allow you to move to the second seed. And the second seed that Paul has, let's read the verse again. And we know that in all things, say these words with me. We know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So seed number two is this. God is always working. 
So we know all things happen to Christians. We know that, but we know God is always working. And what does it mean here? What's Paul saying when he's saying he's working for good? He's saying that if anything's good in your life right now, anything good, do you have a decent meal? you have somebody who knows you, loves you, cares about you? Things are going okay? Well, I'll tell you this. It's only because God is working together for good. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say it's God working things for good. Things never, notice he doesn't say that things work together for good. Because things don't work together for good in this world. Things never work together. Things are always coming apart. In fact, if you have the uh, chapter 8 open, if you scroll back up to verse 18, even down to 21, verse 18 to 21, in that portion, Paul describes that this world is broken and it's falling apart. That somehow sin and evil has so distorted this world that everything is constantly in a place of falling apart. So everything in our lives are falling apart. Relationships. Listen, if you're online or here and you have a body, eventually it falls apart. I was out with a friend the other day and he's, he's in his late 70s and he was feeling some pains and everything else. And he said, listen, this just comes with the territory. It comes with the territory. Eventually, your body falls apart. You mean Christian bodies do? Yeah, in this life, yes. Eventually, they deteriorate. There's, everything is falling apart. So if something's going good, Paul's saying, recognize it's only because God is working it. God is holding it together. God's keeping it together. Everything is slipping apart, but God is keeping things together. If my health is intact, God is holding it up. If I have someone that wants to hug me in this life or, or squeeze my hand, it's only because God has given that to me. If anything goes well, it's a miracle of grace. Now, here's what happens. These two seeds. All things happen. So I'm never going to be shocked or jarred. And God is working. So I'm, this should produce praise in us. I mean, I look around and I open my fridge and there's food there. I woke up, thank God, yesterday morning, despite my car barely starting, my house was warm. There were so many things that God is at work in, holding things together in his creation, keeping it operational, being at work in your life, most of which you and I are totally oblivious to, right? This is why we come together. And some, for some of you, you love the time of worship and praise. Others of you, it's not your thing. But you know what you do? You practice the discipline of praising anyways. Why? Well, because God's been good. God has been holding things together, things of which you don't even imagine. You're gainfully employed and you think it's because you're great. (laughs) God is holding it together. You have meaningful work. You have things to apply your hands to. You have people that look to you or care for you or are reliant on you even. And you're in relationship with others. God is working those things. He's keeping those things together. We have reason to praise God. These are two stabilizers in our life. Nothing can jar us because we know it's going to happen. Good and bad are going to come in and out of our lives. But also we know that if it's good going on, I have reason to praise God. God's working. God is working. Here's the third seed. Here's the third seed. And we know that in all things, God works, say this for me, for the good. Oh, now we're waning a little bit in our conviction here. Let's say it again. For the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So God is at work, but he's just not at work just mindlessly, needlessly, aimlessly. He's at work for the good. See, here's what this verse is promising us. 
This verse isn't promising you better life circumstances. It's not. It's not saying that all of your circumstances will get better. And he doesn't say that bad things are really good things, because that sentiment's out there too, isn't it? You know, it's just a blessing in disguise. Or it's a cloud with silver lining. You know those? The Bible never teaches any of that. A blessing in disguise. No, bad things are bad things. Bad things are difficult things. Bad things are hard things. One of the reasons we revisit often the story of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus is it has so much to teach modern ears about what it means, what, who Jesus is, and how he understands life and how we can approach life. In that moment, Jesus is outside of Lazarus' tomb. He's not smiling. He's angry. And he's weeping. Now, what's interesting, you know the story, if you've ever read it, you know that, that Jesus already has come to perform a miracle. He could have shown up with a smile on his face at that funeral, said, listen, guys, I know you're crying, but there's no need to cry, because you're about to see something amazing. But he doesn't. He weeps at the tomb of Jesus. Why? Because the bad thing he's about to work good is still a bad thing. It's proof that Jesus hates death. Jesus hates loneliness. He hates pain. He hates suffering. He hated it so much that he entered into the human experience and he endured all of that so that he could destroy it without destroying us. I mean, how great is our Savior that he would do something like that for us? The promise is here that if we know Jesus and we love Jesus, not that our circumstances will get better, and we, we need to resist that. Some of it, well, I'm looking forward to March. We're doing a series on, on the Bible, and is it the dangerous, most dangerous book in the world? I'm really excited about that, and how to read it. See, a lot of Romans 8.28 is really what I would call used as a blessing box type verse. Do you know what a blessing box is? kind of a little box of scripture, you pull it out and a little bless, blessing and it, and it feels good in the moment and it's mostly out of context. Ouch. Well, this is what happens a lot with Romans chapter 8 verse 28. A lot of it is pulled out of context, it's ripped right out of context. Because when blessing box people approach this verse, they think, okay, well, you know what? Bad things are going to happen, but there's something good coming right behind it. Something even better coming behind it. In other words, listen, I didn't get into the grad school I wanted to. That must mean there's a better grad school for me. Or she didn't say yes, there's someone better for me. And we build that life of transactional, kind of joyful moments that we think that somehow something bad's going on that means something good or something better is coming. And we've all heard stories. And, but this is not what's being promised here. But we've heard stories of someone saying, listen, she, he said no, but thank God, because look who I'm married to now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> You're online, does somebody like that part of the message? The first part of the message anyone liked. <laughs> Here's the truth, though, friends. That's good. Thank God for it. But that's not the promise. That's grace. That's grace. Because I've pastored for 30 years. And I've journeyed with a lot of people who maybe he said no and no one else came along. And you know, those stories don't work when you make them a promise. 
That's not what Scripture promises us. Those are, that's the grace of God in our life. And I don't understand how that all works, but we need to be careful that God does not promise here. This is grace on demonstration when God comes through like that. The promise is God will take bad things and he'll work them for good in the totality of your life. God will take bad things and he'll work them for good in the totality of your life. Now, what, God, what good is God working? Well, we live in our circumstances, but God doesn't. God, God, God is in, and he will, as you invite him into those circumstances, God floods into them. We live out of them, but that's not, God knows that it's not really your circumstances that will kill or destroy you. Now, that sounds, some of you might be saying, like, you don't know my diagnosis right now. No, I know this, that, listen, our circumstances can certainly relocate us, but it can't kill us. The Bible would say there are more serious things that could kill us or destroy us. And those things that could kill us and destroy us are our pride, our selfishness, our independence from God. The things that could kill and destroy us is that we believe we don't need God. Those are the only things that can really hurt you in the end. And Paul is saying any bad thing God will use in order to cure you of the things that could really destroy you. Let me re-say that again. Any bad thing God will use in order to cure you of the things that can really destroy you in the long run. You know, as I was preparing this message, this is not exactly the message I had planned when I thought about joy. But you know, I couldn't help but go through my life and look at all the circumstantial setbacks I've experienced, whether it was in front of a doctor, whether it was at work, whether it was in a relationship. And I can tell you, I get this now. I can tell you that I remember a, a significant setback in my life and it cut my pride down so low. It, I was so arrogant. And that, I'll tell you, that circumstance saved me in the end. It was not fun, it was uncomfortable, and it was unwelcomed. And if it came visited again, it would be uncomfortable and unwelcomed. But I thank God, because in the long run, it's glorifying God's work in my life. I think of another circumstantial setback in my life, and it taught me dependence. I know Shelly's watching online today, my wife, who, uh, you know, when we got married, we had so many difficulties in marriage because I lived, I was, I'm such an independent person. I lived so independent. I, I was raised that way, and I have this, this thread in me that I don't want to need people, and I'm okay. I'm there for people. I don't need people. And this circumstance laid me so low that not only did I need God, I needed people actually. And that was a very vulnerable moment for me. But I'm thankful. I would never have learned the power of community. I would never have learned to lean and depend on Jesus that way. So bad things, God can use them to cure us of the things that will destroy us in the long run. Now, in order to understand this little passage, you got to understand verse 29. See, there's this interesting thing that happens. There's this word here, the word for. And wherever you see that, it's attaching the previous verse. And this is where you start to get context for verse 28. Verse 29, you need to understand verse 29 in order to understand verse 28. 
And Paul puts them together. So we say, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What is Paul talking about here? He says, he introduces this new word, predestined. Now, I'm not talking about predestination. I'm getting in that theological conversation. Paul introduces it because he's trying to comfort us. Predestined means to be fixed. He's trying to say that there is something. If you love God, there is something absolutely fixed, absolutely dependable, absolutely going to happen. And what is it? You're going to be... Nope, back. Yep, trigger happy. <laughs> You're going to be conformed. Conformed, is a, the Greek word there is morphed. A metamorphosis is going to happen in your life where your inner essence is, your, is going to be replaced with the Son, with Jesus' inner essence. All of a sudden, he said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's already fixed. Those who love me, it's already fixed. You're going to be morphed. There's going to be a metamorphosis that takes place in your life. You're going to be changed. Your inner essence is going to be changed into Jesus' inner essence. So God is working for good. What good? God does not promise... Oh, back one. God does not promise you a better life circumstances if you love him. He promises you a better life. God doesn't promise you better life circumstances if you love him. He does promise you a better life. He does. He promises you a better life. Jesus says this to his disciples, of which he knew they would lose everything. That life circumstances would barrel over them and even take their lives. He says, I give you joy that's not dependent on any of those things. It's not dependent on any of those things. Everything that happens in your life, he says, if you love him, is molding you, is sculpting you, is polishing you, is shaping you into the image of his son. Now, friends, he's going to give you, he's going to give you that incredible greatness. He's going to give you that incredible courage that you see in the person of Jesus. He's going to give you that incredible sensitivity. He's going to give you that incredible compassion you see in the person of Jesus. And that's why we can say, like one of the early church fathers said, when he kind of understood this truth for the first time, he said, come on, I'll quote him, come on graves, come on crosses. The lower you lay me, the higher you'll raise me. The more you try to destroy me, the more you make me. He understood he understood that all of these things were transforming him. A metamorphosis was happening on the inside. Paul is not promising us better life circumstances. He's promising us a better life. A life of greatness, not momentary success. A life of deep and profound joy. And a life that goes on forever. Forever. That's the final seed. The final seed is this. The best is yet to come. He says this in verse 30. He says, And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And by justified, that means made righteous or just as if you've never sinned. You know, what an incredible moment. This is the moment you receive Jesus' record for your record. So he also justified. And those he justified, he also, say it with me, he also glorified. Paul is saying, do you understand glory? 
If you only understood, if you could only have a picture of what was to come, you'd be able to handle anything in this life. Anything in this life. Now, I don't want talk about glory in heaven to trivialize any of the suffering that you might be going through today. Because here's what I know is true. It's poor comfort to say, oh, well, but someday in heaven, right, when you're going through it now, have you ever had someone do that to you? It's just poor comfort in that moment. Your suffering can be deep today and nothing but the joy of the Lord can overwhelm your suffering. You need the joy of the Lord. I like what author John Acoff says. He says, joy is an incredible alarm clock. It'll wake you up. It'll keep you up. It'll pick you up. It'll gently pull you through a thousand rejections along the way. I mean, it's like armor. You're going to take your hits. Things are going to happen to you. But God's working. God's working. What end is he working? He's working for good. What end is he working to good? Oh, he's working the long game, friends. That joy of the Lord helps you get through anything that life can send your way. You won't be overwhelmed. Do you understand joy? You know, so here's our seeds. Here's our four seeds. Here are the ones we're planting. Say them with me. All things happen to Christians. Are you okay with that? Are we okay to check that one and say, okay, yeah, that's true. No, we don't, we don't like it. I, I'm not asking whether you like it. But be intellectually okay with that? Experientially okay with that? You, you understand that? If you haven't, you're probably, you're probably like 10 and you just haven't experienced enough in life because once you've been around good people, Christians and everything, you realize, well, stuff happens to everybody. Mental illness happens to everyone. Emotional damage happens to everyone. Physical setbacks happen to everyone. And it happens to Christians too. So there's no magic umbrella for us. But, but say it with me, God is always working, but God is always working. So is there any good? Amidst your setbacks right now, any good going on in your life, that's evidence. Evidence. God's working. God's at work. And then number three, let's say it out loud, God is working for the good. Now, not just to change your present circumstances. No, 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 no. He's going to use whatever circumstances are in your life to cure you of what could actually destroy you in the long run. And then let's say the last one. Yeah, the best is yet to come. This is not some sort of escapism. This is not some sort of escapism. Our circumstances, uh, not, you know, God's always working for good not making us have maybe better circumstances, but transforming us. And the best is yet to come. So what do we do with this? You might be online or you're in the room and you say, listen, pastor, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not even sure what I think about any of this. You're talking about planting these seeds deep in my heart and anchoring my life to them. I don't know even if Jesus is God. Listen, I'm glad you're here and I'm going to talk to you in a moment. And others of you, you're so immersed in a difficult situation right now. You, you're, you're feeling it so badly. You kind of wish this was the type of joy message that would give you a little more inspiration and kind of get through this moment. And I want to talk to you in a moment. But if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, or you're not sure whether you are, or online, I'd like you to consider this. Because I wouldn't want you to choose to follow Jesus unless you had your eyes wide open. In fact, Jesus challenged people who wanted to follow him and he'd say, listen, count the cost. 
because we often come to Jesus for the benefits of knowing him, and, and there's something about that. Like, as children, we go to our parents to, to get, right? So I, I get that, but I'll tell you this. If it's just to get benefits, you're going to be disappointed because he comes into your life not just as someone who's there to be your savior, not just as someone there to be your forgiver. These are things he does in your life, yes. He's a king, though. When you follow Jesus, it's not suggestions from Jesus, it's commands from Jesus. It's not, it's not just a passive person in your life who comes in and, you know, like he's in your trunk of your car and you get a flat tire, I'm going to let Jesus out. <laughs> get on that tire, Jesus. <laughs> no, he's, a, he's the master of the universe, the savior of the world, the king of kings. So we come and we bow our will to his will. That's how it works. So count the cost. Consider it. There's a process. I like what C.S. Lewis says when he says to people about Christianity. He said this, don't come to Christianity because it's comforting. Don't come to Christianity because it's somehow encouraging. Don't come to Christianity because it's relevant. Don't come to Christianity because it's exciting. Come to Christianity, come to Christ because it's true. Because it's true. Because if it's not true, how encouraging can it be? How comforting can it really be? How relevant can it be? It starts here. Your best life is rooted in your next life. We're not just enduring this life. We're people of joy in this world. And it's infectious because stuff is happening in my life, but I still have a joy. Who doesn't want to get in on that? Who doesn't want to get on that? So I want to take a minute. I want to pray with you before I pray for people who are going through it. If you want to follow Jesus today, Maybe, maybe take a moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and you can find yourself in that place. Jesus, I come to you today the only way we can come to you by humbling myself. I humble myself and I don't come to you as someone who wants to direct you. I come to you to remind myself that I need your direction in my life. So, there's this point when you come to Jesus where you just say, I surrender. So maybe, God, I give you all my stuff, all my relationships, my will, my dreams, everything. I surrender it to you. I ask you, God, to forgive me, God, of my independence, my selfishness, my pride, my ego, those things that have damaged others and damaged my relationship with you. Would you forgive me and fill me with that inner essence, your spirit, so that I might have those things of joy that I won't be thrown about by the circumstances of life, but instead, God, I've had joy with teeth on it. <laughs> that when life is batting me around, that the joy of the Lord would come out swinging. <laughs> that I would feel your strength in me. God, I want to be led by you. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you're online, there's going to be a little button in the chat room and you click that. We just give you some resources that help you continue your relationship with God. And if you're in this room, just go to the blue wall at the end of our gathering and we'll, we'll help you there. Now, here's the last part. Just before we sing and Pastor Keith comes back in a moment, I just fe felt all week, there's going to be a lot of people, this is a hard message because you're going through it right now. It's easier to intellectually talk about this 
when you're not in the middle of something. So I'm going to ask for like uh, just a moment of bravery for you. If you're just like, Jonathan, I'm in a circumstantial setback right now. That uh, Joy is not even on the list. Getting up was. And I, I just want to invite you, if that's you, just to hold your hands out in front of you and hold whatever it is that's overwhelming you, that's controlling you, that's destroying you. Those things that have robbed you of joy, there's been no happiness, and you can't see your way forward. I want you to hold that in front of you. And I I just wrote a little prayer. I'm going to pray over your life. And we're going to invite God's Spirit to do something that I can't do with my words. And our care team at this church, as good as they are, they can't do. This is Jesus' work. So find yourself in this prayer. God, I am thankful that you are at work in my circumstances. And for some of us, that's a faith statement. God, I am thankful that you're at work in my circumstances. And if I'm honest, Jesus, and you should always be honest what you're feeling, I would like you to change my circumstances. I don't want this. I want this changed. I want this healed. I want this restored. I want this this freedom, God. Jesus, I invite you to invade my life with your healing power and with your providing hand and with your mind-soothing peace and with your affirming love. But I also pray that you would use these uncomfortable and hard circumstances to do good in my life. Change me, transform me, metamorphose me into the Son and to be more and more like your Son, Jesus, so that I might be glorified someday in his presence. And everybody who wanted that says with me aloud together, amen, amen. Love you, church. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.